Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to the realest podcast in the dunya, the three Muslims. And today we're joined with yours truly, Hamza Andreas Zortzis. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah here for the opportunity, brothers. The pleasure is all ours, subhanAllah. Um, how you been, bro? Good, good. Can never complain. Alhamdulillah is always Alhamdulillah. There's always things to be grateful for. I always say to people, anything above a heartbeat is a bonus because we can't even be grateful for individual heartbeats we've had in a lifetime. Yeah. Imagine trying to say Alhamdulillah for every single heartbeat we've had, which is impossible. First three years, we can't even count. Or two years, we can't even count. When you're sleeping, you can't count. Yeah. So you cannot even say Alhamdulillah for each individual heartbeat. So imagine anything above a heartbeat. So anything above a heartbeat is a bonus. <laughs> so yeah. Alhamdulillah. May Allah make us grateful, Habib. Jazakallah khair. Ameen. Ameen. Subhanallah. So subhanallah, you're doing a lot of great work, mashallah, with, with sapiens and everything. Uh, so obviously you want to plug that in first and foremost. Uh, what inspired you to start uh, sapiens? Well, that's a really good question. So Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I was the CEO of the Islamic, well, it wasn't called the Islamic Education and Research Academy when I took over, I think, because there was a bit of a rebranding. But basically, it was known as the Islamic Education and Research Academy, also known as IERA. That's the official name, official name now, IERA. So I was the CEO for around just under three years. And then there was a strategic shift. And the strategic shift was to focus primarily on the kind of developing world and to focus on what you would call grassroots or maybe level one type dawah. And therefore there was that strategic shift made by the board. And then the idea came about to basically for me to move over to take all the great work that we were doing in our era concerning the Imams and the Mashaykh because Ayer was also known as educating the activists, the preachers, the Imams, the Mashaykh on how to give da'wah. Now, obviously, you know, the mashaykh and the imams are above us, but what we had, we had a skill on, on we had a particular skill set, and that skill set was to be able to contemporize, meaning to make contemporary um, the, the Islamic Orthodox clas classical and intellectual tradition, because we have experience, we made mistakes, we tried to learn from the mistakes, we were engaged in postgraduate uh, education, so we knew the kind of, you know, Western, if you want to use that term, Western philosophical tradition and so on and so forth. And so we basically uh, trained them with that in, in, in that context. So we had, for example, I think around 15 imams from Canada to come down. We had imams and mashayikh from, from the States. And uh, we even had, you know, uh, mashayikh from Europe. And we used to basically give them intensives and train and develop them in order for them to do great work. So a lot of it was on atheism and and general dawah advanced dawah so we were known for that and all of that great work and those relationships that we built we didn't want to basically just throw it away just because there was a strategic shift but don't get me wrong i think the board in Ayara made a great decision to focus on that on that tweaked strategy because when you focus focus leads to success so what happened was is um, uh, the idea came about to create Sapiens Institute, which was to take all the great work that Ayer was doing in terms of the advanced DAO training and to basically 
you know, inject some spiritual and the theological uh, steroids and just get it, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong thing to say, but you know what I mean, right? Just to give it a bit of a boost yeah. and basically um, to take it to the next level. So Alhamdulillah, we've just, it's just been, I think, just over a year, I believe. And, you know, we're, we're starting to do, well, we've done great work. Alhamdulillah, we trained over 6,000 people on how to academically and intellectually share Islam. 6,000 people, that's a lot. What I mean, what I mean by 6,000, it's not that we just had like, you know, a 10 minute, you know, conversation, but rather they sat through our, you know, our advanced our programs or webinars or courses and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so our aim, our focus is to basically be the glue, right? So we try to be the glue that sticks together the kind of academic, contemporary academic tradition, the Islamic intellectual tradition with people who want to share Islam. So we want to become that bridge or that glue, right? And to stick that together, which is a hard thing to do because sometimes you, you, you don't know where, where to go. Sometimes you get too academic yeah. or you get too simple or other times you get too popular in terms of what I mean by popular is not likes and shares, but, you know, the kind of, um, you know, a, a popular narrative. Yeah. Um, and so it is, is a hard, it is a hard uh, it's going to be wrong words again game to play it's not a game but you get the point right yeah so we're, we're trying to find ourselves i think we have found ourselves from that perspective so we've got some great things coming up for example in the next hopefully two weeks or so we have a book that should be coming out which is on divine perfection which is being written by dr uthman latif and that is a response to the kind of christian world especially the philosophical apologetic world where you have academics and you have a, a philosophical, theophilosophical narrative coming from these Christian academics that say that the concept of God in the Islamic tradition is morally inadequate mm -hmm. because, you know, God is not unconditionally loving. And therefore, you know, the God of the Bible is far more morally adequate and therefore should be followed and believed in. I know that's a very crude kind of summary, but I think you get yeah. the point. And so we've responded to that because mm -hmm. we felt there was a gap in the Tao. And I think it's very important to fill gaps. You know, we should do a health check uh, on the dawah. Sometimes we just reinvent the wheel and sometimes we're not going anywhere. We're just like a rocking chair moving a lot, but not, not actually going in any, anyway, right? Yeah. And, and that's important. So what does a health check mean? It means, you know, what are the gaps in the dawah? If anything's missing, then fill the gap. What's unhealthy in the dawah? Then make it healthy by working with other people or trying trying to do it uh, uh, yourself, enhance it yourself yeah. without trying to step on toes and bringing people together. And if something is working, then make dua for them and support them. Or if it needs replicating, then replicate if it, re it requires replication. Mm -hmm. So that health check mindset is very important and it should be used by all the brothers and sisters involved in the dawah because I think it's it, it shows sincerity because we're here to make Allah's word the highest. We're here to call people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with, with the rahmah, with mercy, with compassion, and with hikmah and with intelligence. Um, and and we want to do it for the sake of Allah. And if that's the case, and I think having that health check mindset is very important, right? Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so Sapiens' main focus is to be that glue, is to create and develop and empower people to be able to academically and intellectually share Islam. And all of our work is linked to that strategy because we, we have a vision. And what's the vision? The vision is we want to see a world 
that basically receives the message of Islam and where people, Muslims, are able to share the message intellectually and academically. So that's our vision. And our strategy is that we want to support, develop, and empower people to be able to share and defend Islam academically and intellectually. Yeah. And that's where the, the whole glue kind of, uh, I don't know, is that a metaphor? The, the glue metaphor comes into play that we want to be like a metaphor. Uh, sorry, we want to be like we want to be like glue that sticks together the yeah. intellectual tradition, the academic contemporary tradition, the mm-hmm. the the classical tradition, uh, with you know the people who want to get involved in this work. Yeah. So you know, it's a balancing act, uh, but I think it can be done and it's needed. And I think we have inspired lots of people, over six thousand, alhamdulillah, wow. and we want to do much more. So one of our targets before I let you guys talk, sorry, uh, uh, one of our targets is this year I think to, to and empower and train and develop 10,000 people. Um, so inshallah, it can be done. And we've been very busy uh, filming professional courses for our learning platform because uh, everything we do is free, inshallah. And, and that's why we, we ask for support from people because everything we do is free. So yeah. we're filming 10 professional courses at least this year. That's one of our targets, to, uh, 10 professional courses to be put on our learning platform for everyone to access for free so they could be empowered and developed so they could share Islam academically and intellectually. MashaAllah. Honestly, may Allah bless you and reward you and everyone a part of this and may Allah allow you to meet and exceed your goals because wallah, a lot of a lot of us underestimate how needed this is because subhanAllah, there's a lot of the you know the spiritual people, there's a lot of the heavily academic people. There are a lot of people that look Islam, look at Islam from a, a logical perspective and come to the conclusion that it must be the truth. And a lot of people that will come to Islam from a very spiritual aspect and come to that same conclusion. So subhanAllah, a lot of the time we make it so black and white, like this is my way of giving da'wah. And and we focus more on sometimes showing that Islam is a way rather than showing Islam is the way. And honestly, it's, it's, it's amazing, mashallah. And may Allah reward you because that is something, that glue is something that's definitely needed. So jazakallah khair. Yeah, and just a point, just to get people to realize that we don't believe that the only way to give da'a is through intellectual, rational arguments. So when we're talking about the intellectual tradition, we're talking about going into, you know, the Quran and the Sunnah and to understand how is it possible to create awakenings within people. So human beings, as we know in the Islamic tradition, we have a fitrah, which is like the normative, original, innate disposition. And that fitrah, that innate disposition, there are two main opinions in the classical tradition. One is that it's a natural disposition and it has a form of knowledge, like proto-knowledge, if you like, primary knowledge. And that is knowledge of Allah. He, he exists and he's worthy of worship. But it gets clouded, right? You know, if you look at the hadith in Sahih Muslim, when the Prophet wasallam said that every child is born in state of fitrah, but basically his parents change him. That's the kind of paraphrasing of the hadith. So in a way, there is a clouding of the fitrah. So that's one opinion. The other opinion is that there is no knowledge in the fitrah, but it still gets clouded. But the fitrah is like a vehicle. And if it's the windscreen is clean, is clear, then it could direct itself towards the truth given all variables are in place. So what we want to try and do is uncloud people's fitrah to try and awaken the truth within, if you follow the first opinion, or uncloud the fitrah to allow the fitrah to direct itself towards the truth. So the question, what we try and teach people in our advanced our training course is, there are different means to uncloud the fitrah. It's not just rational arguments. It's also getting them to appreciate beauty. So we have a thing in our Dawah training course that the kind of reflection of beauty 
is natural beauty, by the way. It creates awe. And the studies show that when you have awe, your cognition is increased and your ego is decreased, right? And we know if you use your mind properly, the sound aql, the sound intellect, it will come bring you closer to Islam. And if you have a lowered ego, it will bring you closer to Islam, right? Because the ego is a barrier to divine grace and mercy and so on and so forth. So there are different ways. And these means to uncloud the fitter can be used in combination or they could be used in isolation. So sometimes given an understanding of the person you're talking to, you may realize, okay, this person, he, want, he needs some rational arguments, but my sensation, my understanding of his variables, of his in me individualizing him and understanding his context, he needs some Quran, he needs some straight verses, right? Because mm-hmm. I sense a little bit of ego in this guy. He needs some of those heavy verses to make him realize, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, but that needs to be used in the context of experience and in the context of you listening with the intention to understand someone. Because when you look at the sunnah of dawah, when it comes to individuals, the sunnah of dawah is to individualize the human being. And that means you come to him as a blank canvas and you understand who that individual is with his context. And that would make you realize what approach you may need or what means you will use to try and uncloud the fitrah. Obviously, this is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And the reason I'm mentioning this because it makes the da'wah far more mature. And a lot of our du'at, I think, unfortunately, not a lot, a lot of them, but many of them, there is, a, there, there is what I would call some kind of intellectual and spiritual immaturity when it comes to the da'wah. Because sometimes someone will throw, throw a question and it will be an intellectual question, but they haven't assessed the individual and they think, right, I'm going to give them a philosophical answer. But then they end up having a useless arguments and debates, right? You know, the famous hadith that we must give up useless arguments and debates, right? And the reason it ends up in a useless arguments and debates because the guy's real issue wasn't a philosophical problem. Yes, he uttered a philosophical question or a rational question, but it was a veil, you know, hiding something else that was going on. i give an example. There was this um, atheist that came up to me and he basically said, oh, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, it was a while ago. An atheist came up to me and said, oh, Hamza, your argument for God's existence doesn't make sense, right? And he, he was an ex-Muslim. And uh, it doesn't make sense because causality doesn't make sense out of the universe. Now, with all due respect, we could answer this. We could say, oh, you have an empirical presupposition that you think causality is derived from experience. But we could show it's a priori. It's actually prior to experience from that perspective, meaning that you need it in order to understand your experiences. It's a first principle. We're going to metaphysics, blah, 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 blah. But that's just ego. That's just me trying to prove that I'm clever or, um, or that I'm right and they're wrong. Because mm-hmm. when you give dawah, you should give up your ego uh, from the point of view of always want to be right, always want to look good and always want to impose, right? Especially if you're doing it to the degree that you give up what's right and you give up the truth. That's what you don't want to do. So um, it, what, I, what I did was I basically said to him, what do you mean by causality? And our conversation ended at that stage by him saying, I don't know. And I said to him, because in Western metaphysics, the nature of the causal link, there's lots of ikhtilaf, right? Anyway, then he said to me, um, I, don't, I don't know. And I said to him, well, isn't it very interesting that you're using a key term, a key word in a sentence to reject God? You don't even know what that word means. And then I tried to, you know, be more brotherly or nice to him. I said, come, let's sit down. And after our conversation ended up a kind of existential spiritual conversation when he basically said, you know, I didn't know how to connect with God because my parents were secular. Do you see what happened there? So he started with a philosophical question, 
but understanding his context and understanding this approach and trying to be intellectually and spiritually mature to realize what is really clouding his fitrah, it allowed you to stand in the possibility that there is another thing that's going on. Um, and that, I think, enhances the maturity of the da'wah. And you see this when you look at lo lots of online conversations, they're really talking past each other or they, ending, they ended up just trying to prove a, a particular philosophical point and not trying to create awakenings with people. Because the Prophet Sallam, you know, he was a mercy to mankind, not only from the point of view to show that Islam is the truth, but he wanted to, people to realize that Islam was the truth. Those are two subtle different things, right? If you're committed to the well-being of another human being, which, which what Islam teaches us to do, you know, love for linnas, what you love for yourself. It's hadith, Bukhari, Sahih, in Tariq al-Kabir. The Arabic is linnas, love for people you love for yourself. This is not the hadith in Anawawi. That's a hadith as well, of course. But it says, Akhihi, your brother. Yes, and that also means brother in humanity. Yes, there is the Muslim brother, but there is also the conception of brother in humanity from the point of view that you're committed to the goodness and guidance. This is the explanation of Anawi himself. Anawi himself said, this means insania. It can mean insania, that you're committed to the, the, the well-being, the goodness and guidance of people. Even the Maliki scholar Ibn Taqiq al-Eid said the same thing, similar stuff. The point is, if you commit to people's well-being, you're going to start to think, not only do I want to prove that Islam is the truth, but I want them to have that awakening that Islam is the truth. And those are two different things. So you could be arguing in an abstract way, and you may have proven to yourself and proven to the audience, but you have lost that person because we weren't committed to their, to their well-being. Um, so I think it's important. I'm not saying, you know, throw away philosophical arguments. I mean, I wrote a book about philosophical arguments. Yeah, I'm not saying, you know, throw away the, the, uh, the, the, the you know, intellectual arguments, not at all. I'm just saying we need to be more mature. We need to be more aligned with the Quran and Sunnah when it comes to dealing with individuals. Because what is a human, man? We, what's a human, right? What is a human, for God's sake? We treat the human being in a kind of post-secular sense, like the human being is a functionist model, is a, you know, in the philosophy of the mind, a functionist model is what? Is you have inputs and outputs in, in, in the philosophy of the mind. Is, is the human being like a computer program? You give him some kind of rational algorithm and you expect some kind of results? The human being is not like that. We have adopted a wrong understanding of what it means to be human. Let's go to what Allah is telling us what a human is. A human is, is a dynamic interplay of the ruh, the soul, the qalb, the, the heart, the aql, the intellect, which is a function of the qalb, uh, the, the nafs, the ego, the, shaks, the kind of disposition, the, and also the fitra. All of these things are dynamic interplay. And don't forget the qalb, what does it do? The taqallub is wavering. And yet the aql, the rational faculties, uh, is in the qalb. It's a dynamic interplay. So when you're speaking to the human being, realize they're not just a functionist model. You're going to give them a rational argument. You think they're going to accept stuff. That's a very, very um, immature way of dealing with a human being. And I would argue that's why maybe sometimes the Tao is going around in circles. It's not moving forward that much because we've lost that. We've lost that. You know, we think, okay, what is Tao? To call to Allah, to call to the fact that he's, he's worthy of worship. Okay. So you have to call to Allah. Excellent. Then we need to know who Allah is. Because if you don't know who Allah is, then how are you calling to Allah? Then people think, let's give Tao now. No, no, no. The next step is, who are you speaking to? Who are you inviting? That's important. And we're missing the big question in the Tao today is what is a human? And that would, 
And if we understand the human being as the human being is, as Allah tells us what the human being is, the way we interact with them will be would dramatically change. And you see this embodied in the life of the Prophet Look at all of his dawah conversations. So many different kind of, you know, scenarios because there was different variables, different contexts. He individualized the person. Everyone was different and everyone required sometimes something else because their fitrah was clouded in a particular way. So if anyone takes anything from this is, you know, we need to be committed sincerely to the goodness and guidance of all people. And that means we want to create awakenings within them. And that means sometimes we have to stand in the possibility that what is clouding the fitrah is not only issues about rationality, but it could be any direct experience with Quran. Like Fahd Tasneem, I think he's come onto your show, your channel before. He tells me this story. I just spent nearly 18, around 18 days with him. Just uh, He left about four or five days ago. Um, and he said that, you know, he was speaking to some guy who was an atheist or something. He left Islam and there's all these philosophical questions. And after three hours, Fahad gave him Quran. And that's it. The guy came back. He was like, why didn't you tell me this before? Right? So everyone's different, you know? And uh, this is also in line with Western cognitive psychology because, you know, people who claim to be like really rational and rationalists, right? Uh, that's just a joke because a lot, of the, a lot of that rationality is motivated or shaped by other kind of uh, emotive or psychological stuff that they're not really even aware of, right? So yeah, let's talk to the human being as the human being is, not some kind of, you know, abstract AI machine, right? Anyway, sorry for that rant and narrative, I apologize, but uh, yeah, so thank you for letting me talk about sapiens. What about you guys? What are you guys doing? May Allah bless um, you guys. Before, I, mean, I have I mean, heard good things you. about you. I have heard good things about you guys. You guys are the three real men, right? On the online sphere. Trying to change <laughs> narratives. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Before before we go into that, I just wanted to say, mashallah, man, like my mind is already blown 20 minutes in mm -hmm. just hearing all that. 100%. And it really does put a shift in my perspective. That's what I want to get, up, get out there first and foremost, that going into it, it's not just rationalizing a victim, but it's connecting with another soul, another fellow brother and sister mm -hmm. and leading them to the one Tawheed. So Absolutely. that paradigm shift is oftentimes overlooked in a lot of people today, just outcome or, you know, result oriented. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's just it's experience. And you know, it's not as if I I were I got into the DAO with this mindset. You know, my early days, I was like, you know, I'm gonna prove the guy wrong, I'm gonna show that Islam is intellectually superior and show him and show how this person is weak. Uh, but that's actually not the sunnah, it's it's not the embodiment of Rahmah, it's not the embodiment of the Sunnah to actually deal with people in that way obviously there's a difference between giving dawah to groups and into individuals and on a social political level i'm talking about individual one-to-one -one dawah from that perspective mm. um there are there are nuances in our tradition our tradition is like virtue ethics meaning there are variables that change the way we do things or the way we we react or the way we relate to things based on the context because we have a very rich tradition moral tradition like that but when it comes to one-to-one -one, absolutely uh you know they're not just uh you know someone to direct your intellectual arrows, right? <laughs> you just want to like annihilate them intellectually. It doesn't work that way. You need to be committed to their well-being. And that may mean sometimes giving up the intellectual argument and buying them a pizza, man. You'd be so surprised. Or even saying, you know what? I don't know. And through your humility, maybe they'll be like, wow. Islam creates humble people. I want to take this a little bit more seriously. Let me take this more seriously, right? Could be through your behavior. Everyone's different. 
right? And that's why when you see Sahaba, the way he became Muslim, you know, are you saying all the Sahaba became Muslim because they had, you know, theo-philosophical arguments? Come on, man. What kind of seerah are you reading? <laughs> what kind of Islam are you reading? You're making stuff up, right? Don't get me wrong. Of course, they had yaqeen, conviction. They had high levels of yaqeen, for sure. But we need to assess and understand um, what is a human, and that would make you realize how some people, you know, accepted Islam for different reasons other than purely abstract rational arguments, right? Yes, that's there, but we just have to appreciate the fact that, you know, uh, if you do consider the fitrah and you do consider this as a first principle, if you like, because it's not begging the question, because this is not an argument. This is, a, this is how do you see the world, right? It's, so it's not about begging the question, because some people say, oh, the fitrah thing is begging the question. No, 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 you have misunderstood it. This is metaphysics. This is first principle. This is the lens in which you see the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you see it that way, if you understand what I just said previously, you would make sense of the seerah, you would make sense of the Quran, the Quranic arguments, you make sense of how and why people became Muslim over the past 1400 years, right? Yeah. Um, but if you just see Islam through the narrow lens of abstract rational arguments, right, mm-hmm. then you won't make sense of the Quran, you won't make sense of the seerah, and you won't make sense of how and why people became Muslim for over a thousand years. Yeah. So we're not throwing the baby out of the bathroom. We're saying just, just, just unlock your prison, man. You've you've imprisoned yourself theologically and epistemolo- epistemologically, right? Epistemically, ra- rather, unlock it and just free yourself epistemically, and you realize there's much more to the dawa than proving this guy is wrong and proving that I'm right and proving that this argument is the best argument. But rather, we need to be sensitive to that and create awakenings within people. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's All amazing right. that you mentioned that. Anil, oh, no, you want to go ahead? Bro, Rami's Rami's yeah. being a little ball hog right now. Yeah. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. You want to go? Playing. Every you question Rami asks leads to such such good discourses that like I get more engaged. So just like a yeah, lot of it's listen, it's beautiful so far. Yeah. So if you want to go in, I just got a question. That's all. All right, I'll, let me make my comment first because it's not yeah. really a question. Yeah. So, it, I was gonna say it's amazing that you mentioned um, you know, what is a person. Right. And what are people? Because the person, people, they haven't really changed, especially since the time of the Prophet. Said them, right. We haven't changed, like you said, to be like computer programming and in the khalas, that's it. So subhanAllah, but what's changed is the culture, what changes the time, what changes how we interact. And we've I feel like we've lost this interpersonal connection and relationship, especially with the introduction of social media and everything, because it removes such a big aspect of interpersonal, you know, connection. And we went from seeing people's body language and and, and being able to buy them a pizza. Like, what am I gonna go to a guy in a comment section and door dash him a pizza? SubhanAllah, like it's 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 you lose that aspect of it, subhanAllah, and it's something that's so necessary. And when we live in a culture where, you know, Ben Shapiro destroys, you know, X, Y, Z uh, at a college mm-hmm. campus, it's like, well, it's, it, you're, you're putting your, you're setting yourself back. As you said, it's a prison. Yeah. I was just watching before I came here on here, I was watching Ben Shapiro and uh, Russell Brand, a clip, yeah. literally. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Ben Shapiro. So I was just watching it. Bro, and, um, it's funny. It's funny. We're talking about Ben Shapiro. Last night I was watching, uh, I was watching the baking video with uh, you and Sheikh Fahad Taslim on yes. uh, on the TV. And bro, I walked into the room because my roommate was watching it. And I was like, yo, Amir, why are you watching Ben Shapiro? He's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, bro, <laughs> say wallahi that Ben Shapiro doesn't sound very, I don't want to say exactly, but very similar to Sheikh Fahad Taslim. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and like, oh bro, my god, I don't know why I'm the only one saying it, but do you guys not like hear that? Or, bro, now Hamza Zorsis, every single time he hears uh, Sheikh Fatasneem, he's gonna think of that. Oh man, you know, you know, Sheikh Fatasneem, he is a phenomenal character, man. May Allah bless him. He's uh, he's actually shaped me. This whole fitra stuff, a lot of it was from him years ago. Really, just you know, give me that advice, even in a car journey when he came to the UK. And, you know, he really helped from that perspective shape our doubt. So may Allah bless him and his family and grant them the best yeah. in this life and, and in the hereafter. Yeah, and he, he's, a, he's, he's a proper man. You know, I've gone to the gym with him. And, you know, just the way he interacts, is, he's like, mashallah, tabarakallah, lots of confidence. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, alhamdulillah, you, if you chill out with him one, one day, you will see. You will see, you know. Yeah. He, he can take yeah. control of social situations and, you know, he's he's a he's a he's a intellectual psychological beast from that perspective. May Allah preserve him. Yeah, humble yeah, man. But yeah, so yeah, Ben Shapiro, that was funny. <laughs> so you saw the cake thing. Yeah, uh, you think we've gone soft, yeah? Uh, you know what? No, I'm just playing. Yeah, you guys were great. Every every single time I see, there's a thing. Like there's there's this, there's a lot of stigma today. I don't want to take too much time because I know Anha had a question. At this rate, Anha's never going to be able to ask his question. But there's a stigma today on men being too concerned about what a man should be that they're forgetting to just do what a man should do. Yeah. So, yes. Huh? That's a really good question because I, I was asked this in Ramadan, I believe, when I did a Instagram live about what is a man and this kind of narrative. And I think, you know, when we say, what does it mean to be a man? Then you just have to go to the best man that walked on this earth, which was the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And after them is, after him was the Sahaba, right? So you need to see how they, what was their state of being? And this whole concept of manliness, unfortunately, the way it's been understood, not the way it's been conveyed, but the way it's been understood in social media is that being a man is you're going to the gym and you could branch 170 or you could punch someone in the face or, you know, you have confidence. Now, to be honest, those are quite easy things, right? You give me someone for three months and I'll make them into a beast for you, yeah? Right? But if you give me someone three months, it's going to be very difficult for me to do with the ego. And one of the greatest signs of being a man is having hilm, forbearance. And that was a sign of prophethood to respond, to repel by that which is better, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy, right? Someone came up to me and like spat on me. It would be easy for me to take that person and probably just, just, just crush them, yeah? Just by virtue of my size, I'm like maybe, what, 105 kilos now, you know, relatively strong. I have a background in uh, Wing Chun. I have a background in martial arts and boxing and so on and so forth. You know, mm -hmm. say on average, someone is not like that. It would be very easy for me to use that, right? Mm -hmm. But what would be very difficult is for me to hold my ego and react to that person in a way that Allah wants me in that context. And what I'm, what I'm saying by reacting is not basically just the basics of the halal and haram. When you're involved in the dawah, I don't want to hear just halal and haram. If you're going to be saying, oh, it's my right, bro, then go away. You're not needed in the dawah. We're talking about the higher Islamic values, right? Mm -hmm. The higher Islamic values. Because it is true, if someone hits you, you can defend yourself. Absolutely. But there could be contexts in the dawah, in, in any situation, mm -hmm. that the higher Islamic value is not to react. That's how we should be thinking in the Tao. Because look at the, you know, the famous story where the Jewish man came to Prophet Solomon and pulled him by the neck, right? Pulled him by his collar of the neck. I left the mark, I believe. 
And one of the Sahaba, for he was at the time, he wanted to do something to him. And the way the Prophet reacted was with hilm, with forbearance. Allah is al-halim. And we should, be, we should have halim from a human perspective. And so he responded to that in ways that were much better. And, the, and, and he became Muslim because he was a Jew that saw two signs of prophethood. He was looking at the, for the last sign. And the last sign was repenting by that which is better. And isn't it very interesting, Ikhwan, in Surah Fusilat, right? When Allah says in the Quran, in, chapter, in verse 33, chapter 41, verse 33, and who is better in speech than the one who calls to Allah, da'wah, does righteous deeds and says, I am one of the Muslims. This is the most holistic verse on da'wah. You call to Allah, you do righteousness and you say I'm one of the Muslims. It's like you're linking your righteousness to your submission to Allah. That's the 33rd verse. After that, the 34th verse, what does Allah say? Good and evil are not the same. Repel by that which is better. And between two people, there was hatred. It would turn to intimate friendship. The ulama say repelling by that which is better means doing what is more virtuous and what is more beautiful in that context. And there is no direct object after the Arabic word repel. It's not repel evil. It's translated like that sometimes, translated like that sometimes, but it's repel by that which is better. So in a way, repel anything by that which is better, what is more virtuous and what is more beautiful. So what we should do as men is always ask ourselves this question, not just men, but as human beings and as sisters, what is the most virtuous and beautiful thing for me to do? Especially in the context of that that we're talking about. Yes, there may be a time that when it comes to halal and haram, my rights, your rights, you could play that game. But if you want to get involved by being an ambassador for the da'wah, don't start saying to me, oh, I punched him back because I'm a man. No, you're not. You're just, you're just an ego. You're just, a, you're just an ego monster. Yeah. You just obeyed your ego. Don't try and use Islam to try and justify your actions. At the end of the day, if you want to be an ambassador and truly show how wonderful and beautiful Islam is and what it means to be a rajul, a man, you need to have a sense of forbearance. Yeah. I, I say this story before. I don't know if you've heard it. There was one brother who was on a dawa booth outside a shopping center in London. Someone, a sister, a lady came up to him and spat on his face. He was smiling. He didn't chase her, call the police, say, it's my right, I want my dignity back or whatever, you know, you know start complaining on, on Facebook or social media. And we have some of our brothers that are so expressive on Facebook and social media. I find it very painful, to be honest. I do apologize. You know, the ones that are always defending themselves. I find that as a huge weakness. I don't know why. Maybe it's the way I've been brought up or maybe, maybe it's my own ego. Allah knows. But I just find it extremely weak when people defend themselves because Yo, Wallahi, Hello, bro. Give me your address. Bro, let me tell you something. You always yeah? say that. Why don't, you, why don't you defend Allah and his messenger, man? Forget yourself. SubhanAllah, who are you? Who the hell are you? You know, you're just, you're just, you're just, you're just a means for that, for, for that communication. Defend Allah and his messenger. Forget about yourself. You know, let people talk. Anyway, the point is, yeah, uh, he, she spun his face. He took some tissue. He was smiling, apparently. He wiped his face. He took another tissue and gave it to her. She walks off. After maybe days or weeks, she comes back. She becomes Muslim. SubhanAllah. And after some time, they get married. Wow. So what? let me tell you. Let me, let me tell you, bro. That's forbearance. Repel by that which is better. And between two people, there was hatred. It would turn to intimate friendship. And that's exactly what happened, right? So we have to look at the higher values, especially when it comes to, like I was speaking to a very famous, uh, one of the du'at, right? Is, I love him to bits, beautiful brother. But we had a private conversation, so I won't mention his name. I would say to him, look, allow this, you know, social media groupie thing. Everyone's trying to defend themselves against other people. 
this is a this is very weak. It shows a lot of weakness, and it shows that we don't have something good to say, and it shows that our priorities are misaligned. It's all about us, as if we are the only, the only means to you know for for the dawah. No, you just you, you you know it's a huge blessing that you even have the ability to even convey the message of Islam. We don't deserve it. It's a huge gift. And and I just said to them, look, I said to the brother, you know, do you do you def, do you defend Allah's messenger in the same way with the same energy, right? I said something like that, and I, and you know, he his face was like, he took it seriously, because sometimes we we think social media is all about ourselves, but it's not. Social media should just be about Allah. It should be about how we come across, how we relate to people. You know, is it showing? Um, is it showing the best values of Islam? And I try and do that on social media. So usually if someone were to describe my social media, I don't talk about people. I don't get involved in any kind of craziness. I try not to anyway. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just, just promote the work that you're doing, say some good things and uh, all the other private stuff, just leave it for the private world. Then, you know, just try and improve, you know, the way you relate uh, to others using the social media space in order for, you to represent Islam in the best possible manner. It's not easy, uh, but yeah. So what was I saying? Yeah. So the whole concept of being a man. Sorry, I know we're going around in circles. <laughs> we also need to talk about those egos things as well. How to suppress your ego? How to remove the spiritual di- diseases of the heart? The four main spiritual diseases: urjub, self amazement, hasad, jealousy, blameworthy jealousy, real ostentation, and kibber, arrogance. People don't even know what urjub is, right? Urjub is like self-amazement. Like you're not showing off in front of people, but you're showing off to yourself. You think that you have an intrinsic ability. Oh, look at me. I wrote that great tweet. I wrote that great essay. I did that great debate. And you feel that there's something really special about you intrinsically. And it's from you. That's Urjub. That's one of the major diseases of the heart where all the other diseases emanate from, right? The four major diseases, all the other spiritual diseases emanate from, from those diseases, according to the ulama. So a lot of us have Urjub. But if you have any success in the Tao, you do anything that is good and praiseworthy, it should increase in your humility and increase in your gratitude to Allah. If it doesn't increase in your humility and it doesn't increase in your gratitude, then we already have a spiritual problem. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have a sense of confidence and that, you know, but it should be linked to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the point of view that it's all him, right? And we're just the empty tools that he uses to manifest his will and his mercy. And it's not easy. How many times has one written an essay or a paragraph? I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's quite deep, man. <laughs> right? That's quite deep. You know, and sometimes you forget who did it, who enabled. It wasn't you that threw, it's Allah that threw, right? Behind everything is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no me, I'm great. It only happened because Allah allowed it to happen. And it was a manifestation of his irada, his power, and his qudra. So his, uh, his, his will, his irada, and his qudra, his power. So, you know, the reason I'm mentioning this is because, yes, we should talk about a sense of being brave because bravery is, is missing. If you look at some of the Islamic leadership courses, right, or whatever you want to call it, bravery is hardly there. I don't think it's even mentioned, right? And bravery is so important for leadership. It's actually a key pillar of leadership. And the person was extremely brave, you know, when he went to the battle and the, the arrows were flying and he, he was like almost on his own. And he said, I am not a liar. I am the messenger of Allah, right? And also when there was like a noise in, in, at night in Medina and the Sahaba went to check what it was, they actually found the Prophet there, you know, just trying to calm people down. He was already there. So the sense of uh, bravery is very important for sure. But we also have to talk about 
everything else, the characteristics, holding your ego, having forbearance, uh, you know, overlooking people's faults. Allah says, forgive and overlook. Don't you want Allah to forgive your sins? You know, how can we claim to have any sense of manliness when we can't even forgive people, man? We can't, and, mm. and forgiving others is connected to Allah's forgiveness, Allah forgiving you. Forgive and overlook. Don't, don't you want Allah to forgive your sins? Right? So those are important matters as well. So the reason I'm mentioning this is because, you know, all of you guys do great work. We all, may Allah bless every single one of you. When we're talking about a narrative of what it means to be a human, what it means to be a man as well, is we have to bring it holistically, talk about all of those things, right? So you talk about the physical aspect, you talk about the sense of bravery and courage. You know, a lot of us, unfortunately, one, one thing that's missing in the Dawah is a sense of courage and bravery, but also talk about the other things like the ego and the spiritual disease of the heart and, and having forbearance and forgiving and, and that and humility, you know, all of those things are extremely important and that gives you the holistic package, you know? Um, there's much more to say on this issue. And, and by the way, just as a caveat, you know, I'm just still learning. I'm still aspiring to, to even reach these things. I'm nowhere near a manifestation of those things. I don't need to think just because I'm talking about it that I am, you know, the one who forgives and has forbearance. And no, 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 no. I'm just saying this so it bounces back to me as well. So I, just want, I don't want everyone thinking that, you know... <laughs> You know, I've made it and now I could talk about it. No, no, no. I, I, I want to be free of that hypocrisy, okay? Yeah. So it's just like, you know, us brothers sitting in a coffee shop and I'm just, you know, expressing myself on, on what we need to, where we need to go with that narrative. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, may Allah bless every single no. one of you. I mean, man, that was, that, was, that was pure, that was real. That's why we always teach men on this channel that real dominance is dominant, being dominant over yourself. It's having restraint. It's not being domineering or dominating towards other people. It's mm. about having control over yourself, your nafs. Your yeah. desires yeah yes yeah. Exactly. That's beautiful yeah. we uh we do need to do better you know as men ourselves and myself first and foremost so may allah allow us to be you know men similar to the prophet i said i'm but on hill bro before i keep going man take the mic yeah bro what like 20 minutes later <laughs> you're you so remember patient. your question you're so up, patient Yo, but, but first off you had said that uh this guy the woman spit on his face and then she came back and he he she became muslim and he married her yeah mashallah he, he likes that freaky stuff <laughs> may allah bless him may allah bless him but um the question <laughs> i have for you brother the question i have for you all right so you were talking about the ego you were talking about um uh Clinton, what were you saying? The fitra, you said like the windshield. The unclouding like, of the fitra, yeah. The yeah, unclouding. the unclouding of the fitra. The unclouding of the fitra. So, in your opinion, would you say that uh, purification of the soul would be one of the ways to uncloud the fitra? Absolutely, bro. Like, for example, in our advanced our training course, we have this section on spirituality, for example. Um, and in that, we focus more on showing to people that the default position for a human being is to be in a state of worship, even if you reject God, right? Because if you see worship as the thing that you want to know the most, love the most, obey the most, or refer to the most, and the thing that you direct extensive praise or ultimate gratitude towards the most, that's your object of worship. So every human being has had an object of worship, even if they reject God. So what we want to try and show to them is create that paradigm shift, that, that there is a deity that is actually worthy of worship. And it, that deity is Allah and then we explain why Allah is worthy of worship meaning why must we love him be humbled before him and we focus on his names and attributes and so on and so forth however 
the, the, we also talk about, for example, acts of worship. Acts of worship can uncloud the fitrah. Like when I became a Muslim, I wasn't just intellectually convinced. I, ha- I started praying before I became a Muslim. And I remember one of my brother's friends telling me that when you're in sajda, you're closest to your Lord to so speak to your Lord. So when I was praying, I, I learned how to pray before I became Muslim. And I was praying. And in sajda, I was talking to God, right? That was extremely transformative for me. So even acts of worship, I believe, can be ways to uncloud the fitwa. And even one would argue, you know, when people explore the Quran and Sunnah concerning how do, what does Islam say about the ego? What does Islam say about ostentation? What does Islam say about all of these things? That could be a means to help people realize Islam is the truth as well. But it all depends who that person is. As I said, you have to contextualize it, individualize the dawah. Someone may need intellectual arguments and spiritual arguments together in order to make that effective cleansing of the fitrah or the unclouding of the fitrah. But yeah, so what you just said, absolutely. There, there's, uh, like, for example, I remember one of my brother's friends who was from Tablik Jama'at. He said something to me. He was like, we don't do things for you, for people. We do things for God, right? That was like such an alien concept for me, right? I remember going into the, going into the toilet and I just, my, my, my stomach felt sick. From what I remember, it was like painful. I was like, oh my God, you do things for like other than yourself. That was such a crazy thing for me. But that pain that I had was maybe necessary medicine to just break some of my ego in order to understand that Islam was the truth, right? So even concepts like this. And so, yeah, absolutely, bro. So it depends. So say you're talking to someone who, May, he, they may already know that God exists and the Quran is from God, but they need something else, right? Something else is required. You know, maybe you need to start speaking to them about the spiritual aspects of Islam. And what do you mean by spiritual? It's not this kind of new age, you know, secular understanding of religion. No, what, we, what we're talking about here is what does Islam say about these things? What does Allah and his mes- messenger say, sallallahu alayhi wa say about these things? So when you explore that, you're like, wow, that's, that's extremely powerful, right? You know? Um, and, you know, you know, you could give them like, you know, the tradition on, on, on food. Uh, you know, the Prophet said like one of the worst things that, like, uh, you know, the son of Adam can fill is his stomach. Right. Uh, to, to that, I'm paraphrasing the hadith. Also concerning the whole spiritual tradition of what you put in your stomach is so important and how much you fill your stomach. Right. Um, and, you know, there is a correlation between your intake of food and your spiritual state. Right. So even just talking about that to someone who may like fitness or who may like food and you connect that to your spiritual state and well-being, that might be a means to get them closer to investigate Islam a little bit more further or at least to internalize some of these things in order for them to take Islam more seriously. Now, when you talk about spirituality, other people, they just need heaven and hell, bro. That's, that's the final push for them. And that's, mis- that's missing out in the Dawah as well, which, which are spiritual concepts. They're like mm. hereafter unseen concepts. And it's a strategy of the Quran. People want pleasure. They want to run away from pain. And we miss that out sometimes in the Dawah, right? How many, when was the last time you saw a famous sheikh or an imam tweet out something about hellfire, right? Sometimes it's, it's, not many do it. They do, but not many do it, right? Um, especially when it comes to a non-Muslim perspective. But maybe that's what's needed for someone. Because, you know, sometimes people need that little push, that spiritual push, you know, to take things really seriously. Hey, look, you've had enough. I've given you enough. You know, more things about Islam than most people. You know, you know, the Quran is true. You know, the person is the final messenger. You, you, you know, this is, this, this is the correct path in life, but you're not accepting it. Let me just tell you, yeah, 
if you carry on like this, you're going to go to hell forever, right? And they'll be like, wow. And that might just be enough for them. Because I remember when I was in the car, when I, you know, I was praying and I was already relatively convinced, intellectually convinced, my friend in the car actually just spoke to me about death. And he did it in such a way that I don't remember what he said, but I knew, I knew it had an impact on me. Not in a kind of irrational way, in a way that the experiences that I had with Salah and the experience that I had with the intellectual tradition just became real all of a sudden. I knew I had to make a decision now, right? Death is inevitable. It's going to happen. And so, you know, I remember texting him that, that night and saying, you scared, you scared me, basically. That's what I basically said to him. But not the kind of fear that I'm running away from an enemy, but I'm understanding the implications now. So he understood what I needed at that point. Right. So you use those things based on that person's particular context. And this is something that even Al-Ghazali mentions when he even talks about rational arguments. And he says, you know, if someone's like emotional or psychologically orientated, you're not going to give them like abstract rational arguments. It's not going to work for them. Yeah. Uh, or if someone basically is not even ready even to understand those type of arguments, you might, you might create more shubuhat, you might create more destructive doubts and you don't give it to them. Basically, you analyze the person, you help the person. Um, and you could only do that if you are sincere. If you're sincere, you know, for the sake of Allah and you're sincere to the human being that you're committed to their well-being and guidance, then the way you relate to them is going to be in that way. You're going to listen with the intention to understand. Not only are you going to listen with the intention to understand, but you're going to basically not create any wrong lenses in which you're going to try to understand him. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, my name is John, I'm an atheist. What happens automatically is that I have my limited experience of what an atheist is. I have my own limited understanding of what atheism is I, and so on and so forth. I take all of that and that, that becomes now my filter or my lens in which to understand John. And then I'm relating to John in that way. But who are you really connecting to? You're connecting to your drama, to your, your lens, your filter, your limited ideas and experiences. You're not really connecting with him. What we need to learn to do is become a blank canvas and just allow John to be John as John is and for us to connect with him in, in that powerful way. And not only that, and this is another prophetic way of dealing with people, is powerfully creating from the conversation what does powerfully creating from the conversation means so someone comes up to me and he is like a far-right hater of islam so the way i connect with him is i'm going to connect with him as if i believe and i'm going to be sincere in this that he is the best version of himself and i'm going to talk to him as if he is the best version of himself and when i express myself in a way that i believe he is the best version of himself i'm going to get the best version of him and it's happened before. Like we had this right-wing guy. He said, you want, and he swore, you want beep, Sharia law, came up to my face. And I was just relating, in, relating to him in a way that was, I was powerfully creating from that dynamic because I was basically uh, uh, speaking to him in a way that didn't represent his current state, but in a way that I was representing his potential as a human being. And then he ended up hugging me, right? So... And that's a very difficult thing to do, right? Because sometimes the, our initial reaction is to like, you know, fight back. Sometimes we have to, for sure. You know, that's human nature. There are scenarios when it's the most ethical and legal thing to do. But, there are, but most of the time, you can actually create powerfully from that dynamic. And the Prophet 
you know, one of the main reasons, right, that Khalid bin Walid became a Muslim is because the Prophet ﷺ said, how can a wise person, how can such a wise person not become Muslim? Mm. Look at what we're talking about, like the butcher of the Muslims, right? That's what he was at that time, right? He was fighting Islam, fighting Muslims. But the Prophet is saying, how can such a wise person not become a Muslim? That's powerfully creating, right? And that is something that we should do in the Dawah. And like, for example, you know, sometimes in the Dawah training course, we say to people, you know, especially when we talk about rational arguments, we say, in order for you to understand the answer, you have to understand the concept of Islam. And like, I don't want the concept. I want yes or no. I want yes or no. So the way we respond is in this similar way. We say, look, does yes or no really represent who you are, who I am as a human being? I know you came here sincerely to really understand Islam. And the answer is not yes or no. What's your name? Yes or no. What's your views on abortion? Yes or no. Does yes or no represent you? So why do you think it's going to represent me? And I know you've come here sincerely to interact with me and get a really good answer, the right answer, in order for us to understand each other better. Do you want to hear the concept of Islam? Then they're going to say yes, because what I've done, I've affirmed that they're sincere. I've affirmed that they really want to understand. I've affirmed that, you know, this doesn't represent you or me. So I'm elevating them in the way I'm expressing myself, even though they may not be like that. So um, that's another very powerful way of interacting with human beings as well, which is which is from the sunnah. And, you know, what can we do? So I've been talking too much, man. One last Sorry. thing on my mind that I wanted you to clarify. How does this John person form this disparity between, okay, it's I actually have to do the work, but then also using the excuse that I thought Allah only guides who he wills though. So what if he's just not guiding me? Okay, just repeat that again. So, yeah, so so people people oftentimes use the excuse that oh God guides who he wills, right? So maybe he's just not guiding me. So how do they form that disparity between that and draw that line between that and I actually have to do some work too? Oh, so uh, am I talking to the atheist John here, or am I talking to someone who doesn't want to listen to Islam because could he, be an atheist, didn't... could be someone that's trying to get on Deen, but they they're just struggling with enoughs or something. Oh, and they're basically saying like oh Allah is just not guiding me. Yeah, and they, they they they're like, okay, is it me that's the problem? Is it Allah? Like, or the beloved? Like, what is it? Yeah, well, I mean, the most basic thing to say to someone like that is that you have been given a free will and responsibility to take control over the actions that you can control, and the things that you can't control are things by definition that you can't control. What you can control is you learning more about Islam, you coming closer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and 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 you basically. Uh, refraining from haram and you know doing the good these things are within your realm of control so you say to someone is that in your realm of control yes it is or just create a plan of action in your life in order for that to happen now for you to say metaphysically but allah guys maybe allah has chosen me i'm not the one who's guided and i would just ask that person how do you know did allah tell you you got some special revelation that he's told you that you're not guided Okay, where is the revelation? Oh, it's the Quran. So what does Allah say about guidance? Yes, Allah says, whoever Allah guides, no one can misguide, right? Right. You know, the famous uh, statement of the Prophet as well. And whoever Allah uh, misguides, no one can guide, right? That these are key principles from the Quran and Sunnah, right? And you say, well, yes, we agree with that. But Allah also says, Allah does not guide who? So there are, there's a list of spiritual states or, 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 or ways of being that Allah doesn't guide, right? 
So, you know, and when Allah, Allah does not like so-and-so. So when you see those things, are you seeing yourself in there? So if mm. you're reading yourself in those things, then you know, you now you know, now you now you know what you have to change. Mm. So if Allah says Allah does not uh, uh, love the haughty, Allah does not guide the arrogant, for example, then you know, and then you feel that you can see that within yourself, then you got something to work on, right? So from that perspective, you know, when people use that uh, kind of get out clause, yeah, you know, I'm doomed. Allah has misguided me. You're like, well, how do you know? Hey, you go in your special revelation, the angel come down to you and say, hey, you're the misguided one. No, of course not. And what's really funny is when you look at the Quran and Sunnah, you're going to be taken to account for that attitude because we know we have free will and we have the sole responsibility uh, in, with regards to things that we can control, which is our own, the way we relate to ourselves, our own states of being. And, uh, you know, and that's what we need to understand. Yes, of course, Allah guides and no one can misguide those who Allah guides hmm. but that's in the realm of you know the metaphysical the realm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you like right when it comes to us we have responsibility and accountability the, the Quran spends a lot of time in talking about accountability and and you know as, assuming that responsibility and free will that we have hmm. but when you break it down further and you see okay well who does Allah, Allah love who does Allah not guide okay there's these type of states these type of ways of being okay do i have that well if i want allah's guidance then i need to start focusing on my ego i need to start focusing on my purity i need to start focusing on this that and the other do you see my point so um you know you can't read the quran one way and dismiss everything else because yes allah says that guidance is solely in his hands but allah also says that you have free will to make the choices that you need to make and allah also says that allah doesn't love the, doesn't like the list of these people and Allah doesn't guide so so on so and so and so and so people who are arrogant and so forth and so on and so therefore you know now what you need to do to be in in the kind of uh, in, in you now know you now now you know what you need to do to actually be enveloped in Allah's special love and actually be eligible for guidance right it's all there in the Quran for you right um so I've never heard an atheist say that to me before, personally, from what I remember. But Muslims actually say that a lot, I think, sometimes, right? And especially the ones who have gone a little bit astray and they've lost hope. Um, they're like, you know, I'm doomed. Allah has, you know, misguided me. Uh, but, you know, you have so many beautiful stories in our tradition where people had, like, crazy lives. And in the end, or halfway through their adult life, they made a huge impact. Um, I believe there's a famous story of a drunkard and he was drinking lots of wine, I believe. And there was a famous person, a scholar of hadith or something. And the drunkard came to him and was pestering him and wanted a hadith for him, from him or asked him a question or something. And the, the, the scholar actually responded by saying the, the hadith of, you know, if, you don't, if those who don't have no shame, they could do whatever they want. That, that hadith, right? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing the hadith. And then that affected him so much that he broke all his wine bottles, I believe. And then uh, that person eventually studied hadith and he was the teacher of Bukhari. MashaAllah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Allah. That's yeah, why, that's yeah, why absolutely. You know, we just want to close it with, um, you know, not to cut you off, but it, there's, a, there's a gap between us and how much, how close we feel to Allah. And if you feel that gap widening and widening and widening, Allah didn't move. So you have to ask yourself who really moved. Yeah, um, I heard uh, Sheikh Trib Webb say that. He was very um, powerful, I think on his Instagram. He was like, 
who moved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. let me tell you what's beautiful. Let me tell you what's beautiful. Adam alayhi salam, the Adamic scenario is one of the most moving, powerful, beautiful scenarios you can ever imagine. I want you to think about this, yeah? And this is so in, in contrast to the Christian tradition. In the Christian tradition, God is so holy, sin breaks the relationship with man, and, and, and you need some kind of blood sacrifice, right? So there's no direct forgiveness. Forgiveness is not contingent on the relationship between God and his servant. It's contingent on some kind of blood sacrifice. And that's where you have the kind of Jesus narrative of him being um, uh, sacrificed, right? But look at the Islamic tradition. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't describe what happened with, um, with Adam alayhi salam as a fall. He describes it as a slip, right? So the Adam and Eve story, it's not a fall from grace. It's a slip. It's described as a slip in the Quranic narrative. Not only is it described as a slip, but what does Allah say? And this is actually quite moving. Allah says, and we turned, and we turned. Right, and we turned to them because they moved away, right? So it's like a you know, from a kind of metaphysical spiritual sense, and we turned and taught them words of forgiveness. And they repeated those words, and Allah forgave them. You know, the famous dua, and that is so beautiful because they made the mistake, they made the slip. Not only Allah is so maximally forgiving that he forgave them, but he turned to them to teach them words of forgiveness. Mm. That is so beautiful. Mm. Because if you contrast it with the Christian tradition, the very fact that God created man and he knew man would be weak and that man would be weak and his weakness now breaks the relationship totally that God in the Christian tradition can't even forgive him directly. And this is why we say Allah is maximally loving in the Islamic tradition. His name is Al-Wadud, the loving. And he's maximally loving because he is maximally forgiving. You cannot be maximally loving if you're not maximally forgiving. Meaning your forgiveness is not to the highest degree possible. So how can they say God is maximally loving in the biblical sense when he is not maximally forgiving? He's too holy. He can't forgive him straight away. The forgiveness is not based on the direct relationship between God and his servant. Forgiveness Mm. is based on something external to the relationship, right? But Allah, he turned to Adam, taught him words of forgiveness and forgave them. It's based on the, just turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just just repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So um, uh, this is why, um, I don't know why we spoke about this. Well, we're speaking about forgiveness, I forgot. Why, why the link between uh, the disparity between blaming Allah and you know stuff for Allah is saying you know is Allah just not guiding me and also taking responsibility mm-hmm. for your own actions yeah but I forgot why we got into this there was something I forgot mm-hmm. but anyway it was good anyway the thing is it's, power, it's a powerful narrative um, and, uh, and and this is the stuff that we're talking about in the Divine Perfection book obviously we unpack it in, in detail that's one of the things that we talk about because you know how can you say you know, this cre- this deity that you believe in, the conception of the deity that you believe in, in a particular spiritual tradition is supposed to be maximally loving, meaning loving to the highest degree possible, but is he's not maximally forgiving because forgiveness is actually a language of love. 
Uh, and if you're not maximally forgiving, you can't be maximally loving. Imagine, for example, you have a servant uh, under the king's castle and he made a mistake. And he goes to the king and says, look, I made this mistake. And the king says, you know, I can't forgive you. The only way I can forgive you if I basically um, kill, uh, torture my son. Is, is that, uh, and then the other scenario is a servant makes a mistake in another king's uh, court or palace. And he turns to the king and says, look, I'm sorry, I slipped up. I made this mistake. And the king says, don't worry. If you say this, I'll forgive you. Don't worry. What, what two scenarios are, more, or are a manifestation of forgiveness, right? The right. first scenario, the second scenario, it's the second scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, with, with, only with Allah is the greatest example. And we're not making an analogy with Allah. But by greater reason, um, Allah is his maximal forgiveness. Because in the Islamic tradition, when we talk about Tawheed, we talk about the oneness of Allah's names and attributes as well. And when we talk about the oneness of Allah's names and attributes, we basically say that Allah's names and attributes are transcendent, but also we say that they are to the highest degree possible without any deficiency in any flaw. That's what it means by maximally, maximal perfection, to the highest degree possible. So when we try to conceptualize Allah's forgiveness in this context, we say Allah's forgiveness is to the highest degree possible. And mm. you could just create these thought experiments when you look at the biblical uh, kind of Adamic conundrum and realize that this is not, the expression or the manifestation of a maximally forgiving Lord because he couldn't even forgive Adam, right? And then he just mm-hmm. continues from there. So anyway, yeah. but yeah. So, this was a jam-packed episode. Yeah. Uh, so guys, if you made last... it this far before, before. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Smash that like button. Yeah, let me finish the question because we, we, we started with answering his question. We went to somewhere else. Yeah, we'll yeah. So, Sorry, bro. so you would say then, that if someone experiences low iman, it's because of their ego. Mm-mm. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that necessarily. Um, uh, not at all. It could be. It could be. Mm. But when it comes to those situations, you know, we can't generalize. We have to understand. You know, what is the why? why look, having low iman is a natural part of one's spiritual life, right? And we know to increase one's iman, what do we do? We increase in our good deeds as well we increase in our dhikr we get mm-hmm. to know allah more right uh, because the whole kind of dynamic of what iman is right so you know you, the more dhikr you do the more spiritual practice you do the more good deeds that you do and the more knowledge that you gain and the more knowledge of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's going to increase your iman right so sometimes when our iman is down is maybe because we've been we've moved away from uh, the dhikr or our spiritual practice or we've moved away from uh, some good deeds that we're supposed to be doing um, and, and so on and so forth. But we can't necessarily say it's because, oh, they've got an ego. No, no, not, not at all. Because in the grand cosmic scheme of things, sometimes today's low iman could have been such a blessing because it, it pushed you to the next level, right? Uh, because sometimes, you know, you know, you know, especially when we're engaged in like, you know, the dhikr in the morning and the evening, the tahajjud and the recitation of the Quran and so on and so forth, we get into this kind of, mechanistic way of being and we think it's us now look what i'm doing i'm the boss i'm the man right and that becomes a spiritual disease of ujub right so maybe then allah makes you drop to make you realize this is all from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that i should be grateful every time you know i had been given any opportunity to connect with allah i should be grateful and and know that it's all because of allah because re- remember, the more closer you become to Allah and the more good deeds that you do, the more you should realize this had nothing to do with you in the first place, right? But if you increase your 
uh, your good deeds and you think it was intrinsically because of you, but that is a sign of ujub, a sign of one of the spiritual diseases. And maybe out of Allah's love, he'll make you crash a bit. And you'll be like, I feel really bad. Uh, just to create the awakening within you that this, this was because of Allah. The, the very fact that I could pray more was because of Allah. The very fact that I could glorify Allah was because of Allah. The very fact that my iman was high was because of Allah. And I am going to be humble and even more grateful if by the will of Allah, Allah elevates my iman and I'm going to try and move forward in that way. So maybe sometimes looking back into your past, thinking, you know, my iman was so crushed. It's because Allah loved you, bro. Or Allah loved you and he wanted you to create, have those awakenings, right? Like myself, years ago, I went through like, oh my God, it was one of the most humiliating, humili humiliating episodes of my life. Like it was so, it was so dark. It was so dark that I, yeah, I'm not going to say, but I was in a very dark place and it was so humiliating. But wallahi, I am telling you, looking back, and maybe on the day of judgment, I'm going to say to Allah, maybe I wish that to happen a thousand times to me. Because I'm telling you, if that didn't happen to me, may, I was probably on a tra trajectory that would have basically destroyed myself and destroyed the Tao. And I'm looking back, although it was one of the most darkest episodes of my life, right? Really dark, yeah? Like, it was really, it was, it was quite dark. Um, and I was really down. And, but looking back, if that didn't happen to me, because, you know, everyone's different. Sometimes a scholar would, would teach you and train you and help you. Sometimes it will be people around you. But for some people, Allah has to be the one giving you the tarbiyah. <laughs> and uh, for someone as egotistical as me, I think uh, maybe, you know, it, Allah just basically just put me into place. Uh, and that is what is, you know, and the reason I'm mentioning this is not just to show that, look, oh, you know, I've had these experiences too. no. Well, that's one of the reasons, but the main reason is to show that, you know, when you look at your trauma, when you look at negative experiences, uh, sometimes those experiences, especially if you have good, good opinion of Allah, you have billah, you have good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you want to come close to Allah, and uh, those experiences, when you look back, were probably the best thing that ever happened to you. Um, so things like low iman, things like humiliation, things like whatever it could be, stand in the possibility that the meaning you're giving to giving it is not the meaning that Allah wants you to give it. Because when you have any trauma in life, and I know it's very easy to say because we're relatively have easy lives, but when you have any trauma, whether it's a small T trauma or a big T trauma, one of the ways of dealing with your trauma is to stand in the possibility that the meaning you're giving it is not the meaning Allah wants you to give it. And that can only happen really if you have husnadan billah, if you have good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know that the way we react to these tests in life is a sign of his, his love or a sign of his, you know, that he's trying to wake you up. Um, so we have to react in the most appropriate way and give it the right meaning. And we see this with, you know, surah duha, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, like, you know, when you, you know, we guided you, you were an orphan and we took care of you. So Allah is giving the correct meaning to those past events to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Similarly, you know, uh, when he's talking about Musa alayhi salam and talking about, you know, who inspired your mother to put you in the river and so on and so forth. So Allah is giving the correct meaning to these events in order to create a state of being from 
the person, in this case, the Prophet Musa alayhi salam, in order for them to move forward in a positive way. So likewise, what we need to do is try and stand in the possibility that the meaning that we're giving our trauma or negative experiences is actually not, because I, I hit low, man. I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I was like, you know, Allah doesn't love me or Allah doesn't want me to do the dawah or, you know, you know, everything I've done has maybe has been because it's, this, it's, it's all wasted. There's no sincerity in my doubt. I, I hit low, man. I hit low. <laughs> if you don't, if, if you feel comfortable sharing it, is it after Islam? Yeah, and no, I was Muslim, bro. Mm. I was Muslim. I hit up. What are you talking about? This was not, this was not like a Jahiliya thing. No, no, I hit really low, bro. It was, it was, yeah, absolutely. It was, mm. you know, and all credit to my family, my wife picking me up, you know. And, you know, when people see me on social media, they think, nah, Hamza's not going to go through stuff like that. Well, I did. And, you know, it happens to everybody, right? Um, and I definitely needed it. Absolutely. I don't think I would have been able to manage IERA or help manage Sapiens Institute or really try and focus on other people in the Dawa if I didn't go through that humiliating experience. Um, and it was one of the best things that probably ever happened to me from that perspective. And maybe, maybe, maybe more is coming and more other, you know, may Allah protect us, but you know, you know, you always have good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I remember once God is saying this to me, I were walking near my house uh, in, in the hilly part on the grass. May Allah bless the Sheikh. He said to me, listen, Hamza, you know, maybe some, something like this, on the day of judgment, you're going to wish that this happened to you a thousand times. Um, and he talked to me about his own experiences as well, that he had a very tough experience in, with regards to, you know, a relationship with the brother in terms of the, it was to do with, I don't know, business or something. And that really affected him and people spoke and, you know, that you know, there was humiliation there and this, that and the other. But those are things for you to grow. You know, if you always have a good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if you think you deserved it, you know that, even if you think you deserved this kind of wake up call or you deserved it because of your sins or your ego, your arrogance, never give up hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never give up the kind of good opinion you have of Allah. Because even if you did deserve it, then Allah is taking care of you. He's trying to wake you up. He's trying to say, look, I'm doing this to you because you need it. If you don't have this, you're not going to have the correct state. You're not going to change your state of being to come closer to me. So my love for you is that I'm giving you this humiliation. I'm giving you this event. I'm giving you this trauma in order for you to elevate yourself. And you're going to realize that later. But have a good opinion of me. So I think one of the basis of keeping your iman is always have a good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Always. Um, I think Ibn Taymiyyah said, said something of, of, of the similar, uh, similar lines about, you know, you know, I think those who leave the deen or those who, you know, leave the deen is because the basis of it was they didn't have a good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's very important. Yeah. Always have husnadhan billah. And you're going to see, even now, you guys might be young, I don't know how old you are, but look back, just try and connect some of the dots. And you were like, yep, 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 yep. Right. And that's it. And then just give it the right meaning and then move forward. I know it's easy, easy to say. It's not easy uh, in reality, but if you have good people around you, you know, you could, uh, you could, uh, you could, you could, you could give the, the right meaning to, to, to these types of traumas. They're very important. So, and that's what we teach in the course, by the way, <laughs> in the advanced hour training course, in when we talk about experiences, getting people to understand their spiritual experiences, their negative experiences, and even the positive experiences in the way that Allah 
uh, wants them to give it, even if they're non-Muslim, because that could be a means of da'wah. Because when you're reading the Quran, you should teach people that you would find yourself in the Quran. Right? Guaranteed, you will find yourself in this book. And when you look at experiences and you see the meaning that Allah has given to some of these experiences, you'd be like, okay, well, maybe the meaning I'm giving I'm giving to this trauma or the meaning I'm giving to this experience or the meaning I'm giving to this positive experience is not the right one. Like, for example, you know, a lot of atheists and non-Muslims, they have successful lives, they become rich and wealthy, right? So what is the, what, is, what meaning does Allah want to give them? Is it the meaning that they, that is like, oh, it was all me, I'm successful, I did this, I did that, uh, you know, it was all my hard work. And you hear these narratives, right, on social media, it was my hard work, it was all me, uh, uh, and this, that, and the other. But Allah wants to make them to understand that every blessing is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which should increase one's humility and one's gratitude. And if you're grateful, Allah will give you more, give you more to be grateful about, right? And so on and so forth. So there's, there's a different paradigm of seeing wealth and success. Because the true successful one is to realize that his success was actually from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not himself, right? And that would be uh, maybe an unveiling for them to come closer to the deen. So when someone's reading the Quran or understanding, some people need that, right? They don't like the intellectual stuff. They just need, right? What is the right meaning I must give to these life events? And when they look into the Quran, they find themselves in the Quran and they find the right meaning, then that could create a massive awakening for them, right? So, Yeah. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I never 100%. thought of it like that, that everyone yeah. can find themselves in the Quran. Mm-hmm. Guys, smash the like button if you made it this far. Look forward to our next episode with Brother Hamza Sortis on fitness and martial arts. You want to give them a teaser before we wrap this one up that a lot of people might not know that you do martial arts or did martial arts. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was trained in Wing Chun Kung Fu and my chain of transmission is myself, Hamza, uh, Moilon, also known as Sifu Alamas, and he was taught by Moyat, and Moyat was taught by Ip Man himself. So that's Wing Chun. I dabbled in steel wire mantis. I did boxing for a long time as well, and other bits and pieces. So yeah, I've been uh, dealing with this stuff for a while. Guys. And there's a lot of spiritual lessons to learn from training, which we can unpack in the next episode. Let's do it. Bismillah. All right, guys, comment down below. Hashtag bring Hamza back. And look forward to next time. Hashtag spit in my face. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't do that, guys. Good job, bro. Now I got to cut that part out. Why you got to cut that out? Come on, bro. All right, Rami. End it up, bro. End it's, it up. It's unbefitting. Subhanallah. And with that being said, Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.